Welcome to the Paragol Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today I am joined by the owner of Taco Rio, Brad Smith. Brad, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So Taco Rio holds a special place in my heart. I uh, actually ate there for lunch today. You did. Had the taco dinner. I know exactly used, what you had. I, <laughs> I used to get the burrito dinner, but now I'm gluten-free, so I can't do that. So taco uh, dinner is where I, it's my go-to. But, you know, my friends and I, we used to talk about in high school how the Taco, taco Rio to us was kind of like, I don't know, did you ever watch Saved by the Bell, Chris? You're a 90s kid. Of course. You remember the Max? Oh, yeah. We talked about how like, Taco Rio was like our Max. Right like across the street from the school. Yeah, that's it, man. Right across from the school. It's where we like to go. And um, my parents actually used to go to Taco Rio, too, like back in their dating days. So Taco Rio goes way back in Paragold history, right? Yes, sir. It sure does. The best we can tell, it started in 1972. And the only reason I know that is one of the door closers miss, uh, messed up, so I had to replace it. And on the door closer, it said 1972. So I'm just guessing that it started in 1972. And we've been real blessed by, yeah. by having that. Yeah. It, so you, I guess, bought it when? I bought it 14 years ago. 14 years ago. Had you ever been in restaurants before? Well, I've been in restaurants all my life. Oh, have you really? Oh, yeah. I started in, as uh, soon as I graduated college, I started in Wendy's. And I worked at, uh, we opened up the 250th Wendy's in the nation, Rogers Avenue in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And huh. at that time, you could you could open up a Wendy's. We opened up that Wendy's. Lot, land, building, and equipment for $115,000. Jeez. That's changed a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's changed big time. Man. So, Wendy's, uh, shout out to the spicy chicken sandwich, by the way. That was yeah. my go-to there. Can't do that anymore either. Uh, so, you went from Wendy's. Did you have any more restaurant experience? Well, I spent 15 years in the Wendy's organization, wound up being the uh, chief operating officer for a franchisee. Oh, wow. Who happened to be my dad. Okay. So, But he, he started me out in the trenches. And it took me six years to work up to being in upper-level management because he wanted me to know every and do everything. What did you, what, looking back at that, what did you learn from that experience about specifically around managing the business to leading people, any of that kind of stuff, working in that, in that around people? Like, what are some of the takeaways? Some of the takeaways from that for me was – uh, I have to be, a, you, there's something called being a resilient leader. Mm-hmm. And you have to be resilient. You have to be steadfast. But you also have to be very compassionate for people. Mm. Uh, that was a different era and a different time. Um, Wendy's was on, that Wendy's was the place to work. Back then, Wendy's was the Chick-fil-A of that era. Mm. Everybody wanted to work at Wendy's. So getting huh. people, and it would take 70 people on a schedule. It wouldn't be unusual to have seventy people on a schedule to work because it'd take twenty a shift. So, Jeez, you're yeah. that you were that busy. Oh yeah, you, we couldn't cook enough, and we had the way Wendy's work is they brought beef in and we patted it in the store. Wow, beef was patted in the store. I didn't we know would that. we would patty. Uh, 500 pounds of beef a day twice a day we'd be paying we cut onions we cut 200 pounds of onions probably 50 pounds of tomatoes now you don't do that today that's all done off site but back then that's what made them so special and that was what years that was in the uh 81 through 95 Jeez. So, yeah so um that's that's a lot different <laughs> than oh, i imagine what it is right now it is and 
you know, the, the big takeaway I got from that was my dad was without a doubt my biggest mentor in my life. Uh, a man of great faith. Mm. Uh, he came up from, he was a sharecropper, came up from nothing, was mm. absolutely brilliant, but he never, uh, he never forgot where he came from. And he never, uh, he never forgot his faith. And he used Wendy's, it was called Wendy's of the South, Wendy's of Louisiana. We had, he had uh, 11 stores in Northwest Arkansas and he had 13, 15 stores in South Louisiana, Lafayette, Morgan City, Homa, Lake Charles. How did he get into that position? I'll tell you. And then he had five in Mobile and two two in New York. So it's a pretty widespread. uh, Oh yeah, yeah, it sure was. But I got to be his when I was in high school, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. I got to be in his back pocket, and I got to see him operate. And he was the best handler of people I'd ever seen. Uh, one of the things I learned from him, it was about the people and not about the hamburgers. And one thing he did is he had 30 stores, and he had supervisors. And one of those supervisors, one thing they were required to do was have index cards of who was working in that store, the manager, the assistant manager, the co, and who their wife was and who their kids mm. were. And he would read those cards before he went in the store and said, I want to see your store, but first, how's Mary doing? Wow. How are, how's John in school? And he's doing well. And how can I help you? Wow. You know, and he just made a connection, and and that was more important than selling hamburgers. That sounds like Dave Thomas himself, basically. The it is Dave Thomas because I got the opportunity to be around Dave Thomas four or five times. Uh, flying on his jet, his plane, and everything. And Dave Thomas, he never graduated high school. He quit. Uh, he quit school when he was in the eighth grade. He was an orphan, uh, and he he just he did amazing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, he took an interest in other people. I mean, and, and yeah, you build trust with people by. It sounds like getting into their world, taking an interest in what you know they're interested in. I'm curious, so you get a chance to kind of see this up close and personal. You're growing in your own abilities to lead, obviously. At what point did you move to Paragould? Because you're not from here. I, I was always been in Jonesboro. I was born and raised in Jonesboro. Okay. Uh, went to Central from my time I was six years old. Mm-hmm. So I was born and raised in Jonesboro, and that's where Dad started all his stuff out of Jonesboro. Uh, the way Dad got involved in Wendy's is he had a bank, his banker, my dad's first business was a little thing called Tie Town, about a 600 square foot in the old Indian Mall. Sold ties and shirts and cufflinks. I think I remember. How long did that go till? Oh, that was in the 70s. Okay. Yeah. I remember like a little tie shop that was there, but I don't know if. That was my first job working with him. I was about eight years old, and he paid me 20 cents an hour to run the register. <laughs> but through that, he building a relationship with that banker and being a man of integrity. The banker was living in Memphis, and he saw people lined out the door to get into Wendy's on Union Avenue. And he called my dad, and he said, we got to get into this because this there's no there's no credit cards. There's none of that. It's no checks. It's all cash money. And in that day, that was a big deal. And really, every time a Wendy's opened, it was like opening a Chick-fil-A. They were lined out the door and lying around the building. So it was awesome. So catch me up on... Up in see, you said it was uh, was it fourteen years ago. Mm-hmm. You're not owning Taco Rio yet. 
Right. How did that get on your radar? Uh, they had absentee owners, and they needed somebody. I was between jobs, basically, mm-hmm. and they needed somebody to come in and help take care of it. And my dad knew the absentee owners, and he said, "We got I got my son, and he can come in and help do this because my specialty was Wendy's. Is I could walk into any store and within an hour knew, know what would, would know what was wrong and how to fix it. And you know, within three or four days, everything would be back like it was. Was that just like a God given ability, or like something you developed from following your dad and just being in the restaurant business? Well, I developed that because I worked at Wendy's from the time I was sixteen to eighteen, so I learned a lot about the business then. And then just watching my dad and how he handled people. My dad was never, my dad never ran a store. He couldn't run a store. Entrepreneurs, what they do Mm -hmm. is they go out, they figure out what they want to do, they get it set up, but they got to have somebody to pick up the pieces. Yes. And And then they're on to the next thing. They're on the next thing. And uh, that's what they do. And I'm one of those guys that I'm the operator. Hmm. And, And that's, that's what I did. So when you took over Taco Rio at the time, what was what were you seeing as the issues that to be corrected when you took it over? Food quality was a big issue. Cleanliness yes. was huge. But most of all, the attitudes of the people that worked in there took it for granted. And, you know, we just, you know, for the first five years, I worked open to close seven days a week to get wow. the type of people that I wanted in the culture that we need a cultural shift takes resilience. You just can't say can't change it overnight. Can't change it overnight. It took years to do a cultural resi- uh, cultural change, and, and it just takes resilience to do that. And you know, my first day there, I had a lady, a girl, on the front on the register, and she was on her phone. A customer comes in and she looks at the customer and says, "I'll be with you as soon as I'm through with this call." Oh wow! And I about freaked out. I bet. And then they were. They were doing stuff in the dining room. They were eating in the dining room, and they would finish their meal and then go wait on the customer. And it's like, yes, we don't, we're not doing that, guys. Yeah. So, they, oh, they it's all been threaten- a Jurassic turnaround, even from the uh, customer perspective. Like you know, I was like I said, I was there today, and I went to the restaurant to wash my hands, and it was clean. And I remember a time when I would go in there, and it's not, I'm not trying to disparage the people that had it before, but it would been tr- it'd be trash. And it's yeah. like, man, I, I would have been better to just not come in here and wash my hands. I'd have better stay out there and just, you know. And so kudos to you because um, those are very important things, the cleanliness, the culture, and, of course, the food quality. I'm curious from the food quality perspective, whenever you take over a business like that, do they just, like, hand over the recipe book? Like, how does that work? Well, it's, I'm glad you asked. The first thing I did when we bought it, I called Bonnie Kissing. Bonnie and Kemper Kissing owned it before the, at the very beginning of Taco Rio and had it for a while. They were still alive. Uh, Bonnie was still able to get okay. out. And they live co- in Paragold. I don't even know who that is. They're in, uh, they lived in Paragold. They're in Jonesboro now. Okay. But anyway, I called her and I just said, I just did something really odd. We bought Taco Rio and I just need you to come back and teach me how you used to do it back in the day. Because I wanted to be able to make sure that when people came in, this is just like I remember it. Yes. Because that nostalgia and that tradition is the most important thing in a restaurant. Especially mom and pop like that. A, a mom and pop, an icon restaurant. Yes. You know, and being open 52 years. 100%. That's it. So the biggest compliment we get besides the atmosphere is this tastes just like I used to remember it. Yeah. And 
that those memories are precious to us. That cheese dip had to be like the, the gold, right? That was the yeah. staple. That's yeah. I got to get this figured out at least. The, the cheese dip and the meat. You, yeah. you can't get that, that flavor of the meat. But Bonnie spent a week with me, and they're teaching me how to do that. So to this day. Were you personally it, cooking it at the time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, do, I, did, I do every. I can, if I have to, I'll do anything in that store at any time. I've cleaned the toilets, mopped the floor, cooked the meat, the shells. Nobody can cook shells quicker than I can. But I have great people working with me now, and I don't have to work. I don't have to be involved in that. I, they know that if I need to do it, I will. But they're real protective of me and say, "No, I'm going to do that today." Mm. You know, so I'm real. We have been real blessed with an awesome staff. Yeah, uh, and it's. It's more of a family than it is a staff. Yeah, I told him the uh, the young lady that waited on us today. I just came into the uh, we. I just had a debate with the guy I was with, uh, Jay Lewis, um, and we and he. Anyways, he came out. I was sitting at the table outside, and when he came to greet me, I stood up and I was taller than him. And he goes, "Man, I wish I had your height," and I said, well, "I wish I had your muscles." And uh, <laughs> we went to the cash register, and I said, uh, excuse me, young lady, I said, if you were a man, would you rather be tall or have muscles? And uh, <laughs> Which is probably not a question that she expected to be asked at all. But she was so just just played along with us. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was impressive because I honestly kind of thought I'm going to throw her off a little bit right here with that question. And But she really, like, met us in that place. And I think, man, like, it just – little things like that as silly and stupid of a question as that was like it just made it even more enjoyable experience and what i also noticed when i was there is there were some out-of-town license plates and um we were talking again the guy was with about how taco rio dairy queen and play hamburger station are the three kind of iconic restaurants and battens and battens yes battens 100 percent. where it's like if you've moved off and you're going to come back in town, like that's one of the places where someone says, where do you want to eat? It's going to be like, I want to go talk to Rio, or I want to go, like I said, to Batons yeah. or Dairy Queen to get a blizzard, you know, whatever. And we've been really blessed by by, by, by having that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't have asked for a better thing. I mean, I've, I've been in charge of 30 stores before, and I've had more fun doing this one than I have anything else. That's really cool. So, and it's it's just real sweet for us. We should have done the podcast in the kitchen, and he could have taught me some of the lessons. I so could have. Yeah, I, I don't know how quick of a learner you are. <laughs> not very quick. Yeah. You'd been very frustrated. You'd been like, I'm glad you're not working no, for me. No, I've been frustrated before. <laughs> yeah. I'm married. I've been married for 41 years. I'm very frustrated. <laughs> That's the resilient leader yeah. piece, right? <laughs> and compassionate. Yeah. Well, I know that, you you know, talk about being married. Um, I think you've been married 41 years, and, and you've had your fair share of suffering. And anytime someone comes on the podcast, it's always important, uh, important to me that we talk about some of that um, to talk about the resilience talk about the lessons you've learned um, clearly you've had health issues I know with your shoulder at one point um, we were talking before like you were uh, it's a type 2 diabetic and like in really bad shape um, right. and, and then you've had you've had to close a store before in the middle of I think COVID like you, just the fact that you, even if you didn't have to close a store the fact that you had to run a restaurant in the middle of a global pandemic where things are being shut down left and right like that had to take some years off your life, I'm guessing. And then you had a son that struggled with uh, addiction, which I do want to talk about that before we end. But I'm curious, as you look at your life and you think about some of these things, whether it's mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, vocational, some of the stressors that you've experienced in your life, what lessons have you learned? That God is good Mm -hmm. and he is sovereign. Uh, You know, 
when Betsy and I first got married, it we were in Cinderella land, for lack of a better word. And when we were struggling with infertility, God was there, and it, he provided us with a daughter that is amazing. And mm. she was three days old when we got her. Mm. And here's the kicker. The day we received her, I received her. I, I was sitting there with our pastor at that time was Rex Holt. And he, they were so instrumental in hooking us up through a private adoption. We were going to an agency at Nagladney, and we had gotten to a point where we got approved but waiting, which meant you were approved to adopt, but you had to wait and meet the birth mother, and she had to approve okay. for that. So we knew that we were going to get a child, and we were cool with that. And the other interesting part of this is at that time, Betsy and I were 10th grade teachers in Sunday school, and we had about 50 kids in those two grades, those men, boys and girls, mm-hmm. about 50 kids. They were over our house all the time. We mm-hmm. had a blast. Mm-hmm. But they started praying. And uh, when we got when we received Elizabeth in our arms, I remember looking at Rex Holt and saying, you know, God has a sense of humor. And he said, I've, I, I've never thought of that. Why did you say that? I said, because today's my birthday. Oh, wow. August 4th, 1961. So she was born on August 1st, 1991. I was born August. She was born August 4th, 1991. I was August 4th, 1961. Mm. And I received her the first time I got to see that little thing. Wow. And hold her was my birthday. And he just looked at me and he said, that's incredible. That's a gift from God. Yeah. I mean, and that started my journey. Anytime (laughs) that I feel like I'm uh, distraught, Mm-hmm. God has forgotten me. Why are you doing this? And I think we all do that in our of faith. Of course, 100%. You know, uh, I go back to that moment. And here's the good thing about that. The 10th graders and that whole church rallied around us. The whole city of Jonesboro was on our side. I mean, they and when they knew that we had Elizabeth in our arms, they went ballistic. We got more phone calls, more people coming by, and they just, just rejoicing with Just you? rejoicing. And it because they felt part of the process, and they saw how good God was, or is, yeah, yeah, was, yeah, but yeah. is. And twenty-one years later, well, let's do it. Fifteen years later, we wrote her birth mother, and we found that out through a God thing because we weren't supposed to know it. But we wrote her both mother and just said we just need some information about your health because Elizabeth's turning into a woman. And there's some issues that she may have, and we need to know that. And she said, I'm not ready to meet you guys. Okay, fine. <clears throat> Six years later, we were down in Florida doing a vacation. And at 9 o'clock, and we had written a letter to her when Elizabeth turned 21. Or, you know, We still need to know this. Are you comfortable with all that stuff? At midnight, Betsy comes in to the room where I'm asleep because I go to sleep about 9 o'clock every night, no matter what. <laughs> she knocks on the door, and she says, you got to read this. She holds up her cell phone. Of course, I'm groggy. I clear my eyes. I said, you read it to me. She said, no, you need to wake up and read this. Mm. And on that cell phone, it said, I am ready. Mm. The birth mother was ready to meet us. So we packed up and came home, mm. Memphis, Tennessee. And that was the first time we got to meet her birth mother. Elizabeth got to meet her birth mother, and we never hid from Elizabeth that she was adopted. We wanted her to know that we just never hid it from her, that she was a gift from God. And 
a special gift. All children are. But with uh, just seeing those two come together, of course, it was emotional. Everybody was bawling. But the first thing that the mother said to Elizabeth when she saw her, she said, number one, you're absolutely beautiful. And Elizabeth is beautiful because she doesn't look like her daddy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the first thing she said, she said, I just want you to know you were never not wanted. Oh, wow. And that was the most one of the most impactful things I've ever Jeez. heard anybody say to anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And then we sat down with her, her, her birth grandparents were there. The grandmother and the, and the, and her grandfather, and uh, her cousin that they never met before, and the the grandparents just of course ate her up, and we sat down to eat and just talk and get to know each other. And the grandparents said, "There's one thing we want you to know. We prayed for you every day, and we would pray. Our prayer was that we would live long enough to see this moment." That's powerful, That's but it's not over with yet. Her and Elizabeth had become best friends, her birth mother and her best friends. Huh. And Elizabeth got married in October of last year. And my greatest experience I've ever had was to be able to walk her birth mother and her mother down the aisle together at, my, at their daughter's wedding. Wow. And that was, if I ever get discouraged that God's not in this, yeah. I go back to those moments. That's good. You know, I mean, it's... It, for those, I know not everybody listens to this as, as a Christian, and that's fine. We, you know, we say it's not a Christian podcast, but that is a part of my life, and it's a part of your life. And, you know, it's it's really important. We see it all through the Bible where God commands us to remember. Mm-hmm. And I think it's for those very reasons right there, because there are going to be those seasons where it's just like, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? Right. And it sounds like that's what you're you're doing instead of an example for is like you go back to those moments where it's like when it didn't seem like God was working, that nothing was happening, that there he is working behind the scenes, orchestrating these events to take, in this case with Elizabeth, is that her name, right? Your daughter? Uh-huh. Yeah. With Elizabeth, like he's, he takes a very broken situation and turns it into something so beautiful that you described as one of the most beautiful moments in your life. Oh yeah. Out of absolute brokenness. Yeah. And that's what happens. God has to, Bring me to the end of myself before I can even um, get into what he's going to do for me. Yes. And I have to get out of the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like that's what gets in the way a lot of times is our own pride, our own ego. I mean, it's it's easy for me to preach this and teach this, but it's like really the only thing that's going to stop a mighty work of God like in your own life is right. you. Of just like you not being able to surrender and humble yourself and say, all right, like I can't yeah, do this. This is it. Let's it's go. You. What do yeah, you want to do? That's it. You know. So you're, you know, I know that not everything in your family has been just all like a bed of roses, right? Yeah. Like your son fell into addiction at some point in his life. I, I'm curious, what was that experience like for you? Devastating. When uh, we found out, we would call him every day. He was living in Fayetteville. We'd call him every night, make sure that he was okay, that where he was and he was safe. We made a phone call around July the first and couldn't couldn't first and couldn't find him. And our minds go, you know, oh, is he terrifying. In, and is in a ditch. Where is he? Is is he alive? Well, he was alive, and he had gotten uh, arrested in Fayetteville, 
and we I have some friends in Jonesboro and said, you need to call county up there. We did, and they had him. We didn't know what he was arrested for. We just knew he was in county. So at 3 o'clock in the morning, we pack up and head to Fayetteville. Well, no, that's not true. About 10 o'clock that night, we head to Fayetteville. We get there at 3 in the morning, and we walk into Washington County Jail, and uh, it's hard to get anybody to help you in regular hours. But when it's 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, no, there's no help. So we couldn't get any answers. It just so happened a man was walking out. And about five minutes later, he turned. He came back in, and he said, I just felt that you guys needed some help. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what's going on. And he was a bails bondsman. And he said, let me go back here and find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Long story short, he found out, and he helped us so tremendously, hooked us up with a good lawyer in Fayetteville that knew where all the rocks in the water were. And uh, it, that was just a blessing. And one of the things he told he when he asked us, he said, you guys got a place to stay tonight because mm. I have a big house. I got about five bedrooms, and you're welcome to stay with us. Jeez, wow. And, it, I mean, this, that, these are just God things that happen. It's incredible to me that you kind of, I think you you open yourself up to see some of those things. You choose what you focus on, right? Because, right. like, in that moment, I think you could, again, been like, uh, why God? Like right. I've tried to serve you. I taught Sunday school class. I've done this. I've adopted. I've like, you know, and it's like, but you rather than focusing on in that moment, the, the absolute worst part, you're still trying to find some of the silver lining in the midst of it in the ways that God's working. I'm curious for you though, like just from, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in your perspective. My kids aren't quite old enough yet, like to where we're going to be fighting maybe some of these battles. You know, I've got an 11 year old, uh, about to be a 10 year old and a six year old. What do you say to the parent who is, Maybe they're there right now, right? Um, or they're about to be, or they know someone that is. What do you? How do you handle that? Like, what advice do you give to them? Of like, here's this child that you remember seeing so pure, innocent, all the fun, the naiveness of it, you know, and all that of childhood wonder, and then like slowly but surely you see them move into the space that is just, uh, just an incredibly tragic place that you nobody wants their kid in someone may be listening to this right now maybe they're struggling with that with a son with a daughter that's gone wayward and they're going down this path it's like i know this is not good is there any advice looking back at that that you can give them or what encouragement well i can tell you uh looking back on it one of the biggest issues i had was i was an enabler for him Uh, i tried to get him out of messes instead of letting him work through them and I have a different definition of grace for people. I, for me, grace is, of course, it's not deserved uh, and all that. But on top of that, grace takes effort. Mm-hmm. It's and and it always I always go back to the analogy that grace takes effort, and that means you got to do something too. That's right. Yeah. So it's like okay. There's repercussions for this. Whatever's happening, there's repercussions that happen, but I'm going to walk with you through this. It's very good. And that's, that that was real. It was My dad was still living then, and I had him to walk with me through it. And my dad was my Jesus, really. He was the best man I'd mm-hmm. ever known. So he helped me process what I was going through. Uh, but I enabled him. But what really, what I say to the parents is, number one, love them. Love them where they're at. It's unconditional love, and that means you don't have to like them. Yeah. I didn't like them. Or agree with it. I don't have to agree with it. No, no. Will knew exactly where I stood. 
Betsy and I stood, and we didn't agree with it at all, but we still loved him unconditionally. We were going to be there to help him walk through this. And, uh, you know, when he was detained for 270 days in Little Rock, uh, it's a very structured environment. They, uh, it, It's not Christian-based, but you can't do an AA program and not be Christian-based. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's surrounded by that. And that was probably the best time we had ever had for us because we knew where he was and knew he was safe. Yeah. And he wasn't out getting sure. into trouble sure. for, uh, that could harm him. So just love them where they're at. And I know it's a struggle. Gosh, for it was a year before we were able to get him into that place. And for a year, we didn't sleep. We were up all night, and it almost pulled Betsy and I apart. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it was damaging to our marriage at some point. Sure. Uh, but my advice to them was just love them where they're at, but also accountability is hard to do, but you got to do it. It's tough love. Uh, and the biggest thing God taught me through this is I, he had to put him in a place where I couldn't help him to where God was the only one that could help yeah. him. And he had to take me out of the equation. Yeah. I couldn't throw money at it anymore. And I couldn't I couldn't uh, give him guidelines or restrictions or anything else because they hadn't worked. It's completely out of your hands. Yeah. And it was the best thing that happened to me. And from that, we were able to develop a ministry to all the residents down there. And we go three times a year down there to feed to feed the residents, to worship with them, to present the gospel, and just to have a great time with them of just fellowship. Mm. And it's been a process that has taken three years to gain trust. Is that your cinnamon, cinnamon roll yeah, history? that's okay. a cinnamon roll history. Because <laughs> that worked out to where the first time we went, my Bet- Betsy woke up, I call her my Betsy, or Hottie, Whichever you want to do. <laughs> but, she probably prefers Hottie. Well, at 62, yeah, she might. But <laughs> hey, but she's still hot. Uh, but anyway, she woke up one night and she said, I wish we could do something for them. And God wakes me up at 3 o'clock. If I wake up at 3 o'clock tonight, it's to do two things. Either go to the bathroom mm-hmm. or God's saying, I need to talk to you. And a lot of times it's both. Because mm. uh, at this age, you, you get up quite frequently. <laughs> but... Anyways, God says, you can do cinnamon rolls for them. And those guys, we were able to take them cinnamon rolls. And uh, we went down there on Christmas Eve, delivered cinnamon rolls. We weren't supposed to be able to see them or talk to them or anything. But the food and beverage director down there had five guys sitting outside waiting for us to come in. They're dressed in the same jumpsuit, had on masks. All their heads are shaving because there's no, there's no uh, hierarchy there. Everybody's the same. So we pull up, and there's five guys sitting out there, and one of them I can recognize as my son because he has my eyes. But Betsy's always worried about what everybody else is, making sure everybody else is served. So she was busy taking cinnamon rolls out, and I I hugged Will and said, good to see you, and he looked great. Mm. Been 45 days sober. And then uh, I said, you need to go say hi to your mom. And, of course, he walked over her. Tapped her on the back of the shoulder. She turned around. He pulled down his mask, and she melted, just melted. And the cool thing about it is the food and beverage director said, I wasn't supposed to do this, but I just knew you needed to see your son. 
and that started a great relationship down there. And uh, the cool thing about that is when Will was released, and that was a year and a half ago, uh, they thought we were going to not do it anymore, uh-huh. you know, and we're still doing it. That's cool. Not for because my son is there, but because God has said these guys need yeah. some uh, compassion and know yes. that somebody cares. And you'll go down there and you'll, you think these are going to be young men, 20 to 30 years old. They're 30, 40, 50, 60. Last time we went, we had two guys that were 70, and one of them was had oxygen, the other one had a walker. And it's just, you know, we went Christmas, and we were able to give them Christmas presents. And they went nuts. It went, They went nuts. It was a great time. And it has grown to where now I've – the first time we went, I had six or seven guys go, and now it, I can't take more than 24 at a time, and I'm, we're having to pick and choose – you're going to go this time and you're going to go that time because mm. they've got about 50 guys that want to go. That's really cool. Because if you you do that and you see the impact that has on men, sure. I mean real men. I'm I'm not talking about men we that we're used to seeing, that the church is used to seeing. I'm talking about men who are real men, and you see them bawling mm. and the impact that that has. It's just incredible. Well, it's What's incredible to me is, you know, pain and tragedy really can uh, make us better. And like what what you have been able to do, what your wife uh, has been able to do is rather than the pain you've experienced and being like kind of transmitted out of you in an unhealthy way to where like it's made you bitter or mm-hmm. angry or whatever else, like rather than transmitting that, like you have transformed that into a way to where it's made you more compassionate and empathetic towards people that I'm guessing, like if your son would have never fallen in addiction, you probably wouldn't have this ministry. Like you wouldn't be no, like, no, I wouldn't you know, and, you, and, and that's what I think I, I love about what, what God I think can do through suffering. When you allow him is like, Hey, this is actually going to make you a more, more empathetic and more loving and more compassionate, more kind, more gracious person in a way that's going to really bless in this case, the group of people that most of us would either like wag our finger at right. or look down on or can just not even think about. That's right. But, you know, and during all of that time, I'd had a stroke. So it, it, it would have been real easy for me to say, okay, God, this is enough. My dad would always say, you got enough on your plate to choke an elephant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd had a stroke. I had it at Taco Rio, matter of fact. And uh, for after recovering from the stroke, I spent 10 days in the hospital. And for five of those days, I didn't know who anybody was. That was when? That was three and a half years ago. Okay. And I lost. That had to be pretty scary. Oh, I lost all my uh, ability to use anything on my right side because I'd had more than 15 episodes on the left side of my brain and more than five on my right side. So they didn't think I'd be able to do anything. I was going to be in a home somewhere. And it Were you def- aware of that? No. I didn't know what was you going on. You didn't know on. how bad it was at that point. I didn't have any idea. I, Betsy. Because of technology, she had her iPhone, and she would video how I was acting. And uh, it, it was not me. Matter of fact, my, there was people would come in to see me. I didn't know who they were. And the first thing I would, the first thing I would always say, Betsy, where are you? And she'd say, I'm right here by your side. She never left my side, never did. And I'd say, no, you're not Betsy. My kids would come in. They'd ask your name. 
who are these people? I don't know who these people are. Mm. And if the surgeons, my chairman of the deacons, the people that the men that have invested in me and my men's group would come in, and the first thing I would say was, and I can't say it on air, but the first word, it, it was a four-letter word, and the first was S, and the S, last one is T. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I said to everybody because I was so f- frustrated. I knew who they were, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like a computer. I couldn't process it mm-hmm. because my hard drive was blown. But it's crazy. But if you didn't know, if I didn't tell you I had a stroke, you wouldn't know I had a stroke. Right. Yeah. You just wouldn't no know it. But uh, it was, and it was a real hard time for everybody but me because I didn't know what was going on until about the tenth, about the eighth or ninth day, I started connecting again. And uh, I'll tell you a funny story. I started connecting again, and I got tired of that hospital food. So I walked all the time. They told me, you need to walk to get blood flowing again. You need to walk. So I walked that whole fifth floor up there. And one time I decided, I walked out to where the elevators are, and I saw the elevators, and I just punched the button. Now, I had my hospital gown on. The hospital gown on. And I was carrying my, I was rolling around my IV cart, whatever that is. And I went down the first floor and went to the cafeteria because I just wanted to see real food. Mm. I wondered why everybody was pushing away their food and looking at me because my, I had my hospital gown on. And if you've ever had one on, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't leave much of the imagination on the back end. Very flattering. Yeah, very flattering. And uh, that was, <laughs> that was uh, funny. And hey, they, they shut, is bliss, you know. They, they, shut, just... down, they shut down the whole, whole hospital because I was a fugitive. They shut down the host hospital. They had security. Everybody was looking for me. And I walked back to the first floor to the elevators, hit the button to go up, and it immediately opened, and there was Betsy and the two security guards. And the first thing she says, where in the have you been? <laughs> I said, I want to look at real food. She said, you need to get your butt back upstairs. Everybody's scared to death right now. But that's what I did. But the good part about it is, uh, the, my therapist said, you know, he's going to come back just fine. Mm. Because if he knows how to punch a button to go up and down, that means things are starting to work in his head again. Yeah. And then I went through a lot of therapy, and I never had a problem. Once the speech came back, it came back good. And the, I had to do physical therapy, occupational therapy, and I still have problems with fine motor skills. But I never had a problem with speech therapy. And the speech therapy wanted to do a... Um, evaluation it's about an hour thing and one of the things she said i I aced everything i at the beginning i didn't know my colors didn't know letters didn't know numbers i couldn't count i couldn't do any of that and uh, one of the things the speech therapist said now this is the end you need to sing a song that you know it could be twinkle twinkle little star jesus loves me whatever but i just need to know you can connect those and i just looked there and i go supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and the whole place erupted (laughs) So That's she said, great. I've never had anybody do that. Like, I you think got he's going to be 100. okay. You got yeah, 100 yeah. on this. So <laughs> it was a lot of, uh, I have a lot of good that came out of that. But you got to laugh. Yes. You know, I, I tell people that if you, if you think 12 guys, the disciples, didn't get angry with each other, didn't come to blows, but also didn't play pranks mm-hmm. and didn't have jokes on each other, then you haven't been around 12 guys. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they're, they're just men. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that came out of this, it exposed, and it 
let me know how important life groups are. Mm. And they were my lifeline. And I've got so many men that I invest in and they invest in me and it's just Yeah, community is is non negotiable. Yeah. You gotta have a strong support group. One hundred percent. Well, Brad, there's so much more that we could talk about, but for the sake of time, I'd love to move into our rapid fire questions. So okay. you ready? I'm ready. All right, question number one. Shoot. Here we go. <laughs> what is the last show or last movie that you watched? Or if you don't watch TV, what's the last book that you read? Uh, the last show that mm-hmm. I that I saw was Jesus Revolution. Ah, I didn't know that was out yet. Yeah. Is it a good one? It's great. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. It shows the uh, that everybody's worthy, and if you think God's given up, he hasn't given up. But he mm-hmm. also shows how a man can get full of himself. Mm-hmm. In the in the ministry, you think you're just more important. Yes. And the only reason it's working is because of you. Yeah. And it shows that confrontation there, and it's it's really that was the most powerful part of that movie for me. Where can you watch that at? Is that just in theaters? It's in Malco, okay. and I think they may have it at Paragool. Okay. Right now, uh, the last TV show I watched was the last episode of Chosen, night before Very last. Good. Very and good. when Jesus walks on water, I'm just, yeah, I'm bawling. Yes. And I see Peter saying, just don't give up on me. Don't yeah, give up on it, me. Man. Don't give up on me. I feel me. a lot like Peter. I was just talking to a pastor from uh, Boston, uh, Massachusetts, right before this meeting. And uh, I was telling him, I went back and watched that because so many times I feel like Peter. It's like, I feel like I'm sinking. Oh, yeah. So That's like, exactly right. It's very good. Um, favorite band? Oh, it has to be the Doobie Brothers. The Doobie. That's the first we've heard that. Yeah. And this is like a hundred and what episode? I don't know. hundred and eight, nine, ten. I don't know. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. The I've, Doobie Brothers. Yeah. Give me one song by them uh, that like I need to listen to. Listen to the music. Oh. Uh, listen to the yeah. music. Okay. I didn't know who that was. Yeah. That's who that is. Okay. Perfect. China Grove. That's another song? Mm, oh, yeah. Yeah. You need a YouTube Doobie Brothers. Every song they How about did was Spotify? Awesome. That's what I do. Well, I don't care what you do, but you need, to, you need to do something. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Guarantee it. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite meal? I like a good steak. I know you want to send me tacos, but I, I, I know. I had my, <laughs> my feel of tacos. Yeah, right I now. bet you did. A yeah. good steak. Ribeye? Filet? No, usually it's just a sirloin. Okay. A one sirloin. of the one of my. You don't want that fat on there, do you? No, one of my best friends is a guy by the name of David Bubba's. And I don't know if you've ever been to Little Rock in that area. He has Dave's Burgers, David's oh, yeah. Burgers there. He's one of my best friends, mm-hmm. and he is a meat guy. He grew up being a butcher, and he's a master butcher, and he always tells me, you need to have the sirloin. That's the best cut of the meat. Wow. Yeah. I felt like that was the amateur choice. Yeah. He said, if it's done right, it's the best cut of meat. Is there anywhere around here you recommend getting a sirloin from? No. Oh, well, I'll take I'll that back. Right Any, anytime we go out to eat steak, we go to Roadhouse. And it's good stuff? Well, they got I'm, a good sirloin? Oh, yeah, they got good sirloin. I've never had a bad meal there. Okay. I've never seen the parking lot not full. That's that is right. true. It's just unreal. It's kind of like a Chick-fil-A. You just run by there and go, my gosh. Yeah, they got it figured out. Yeah. You know, I'm a little disappointed that you didn't bring tacos here for us. Well, uh, I thought about it, but you ate already. That is that, that doesn't and, mean and anything. And gluten-free, hey. But hey, dude, tacos are gluten-free. I do have a question about tacos, by the way. You mentioned this earlier. I didn't want to stop and ask at the end, but I just can't let it go. You said, I can make taco shells faster than anybody. When you first said that, I was like, why are you bragging about that? You just stick shells in the oven and warm them up. Is that not what y'all do? Do you not just get the shells off a truck and throw them in the... And just warm them up in the oven? No. 
we we cook our we fry our own shells every day. You fry your own shells every day. So like you're getting like what like a little, almost like a corn uh, tortilla is, shell. Like a, you would say like just a soft one. It's a yellow. It's a white corn six inch white corn tortilla. Corn tortilla. You fry them. And we fry them. Yeah, we have a we fry seven at a time. There's a special basket. Basically, it's a jig that we use to do that with. And like on Taco Tuesday, we'll sell. 1500 tacos wow so we have to prepare ahead of time for that but they're so good yeah and that's the reason i always wondered who you bought them from no that's we, don't, a- we don't buy them we cook everything in-house the meat you can't find the meat the meat like we do it you Nobody season it all yourself everything, everything it's not like just a pre-packaged like here's a taco season nope what about no. the cheese dip same thing with the cheese dip we, you want to give us the recipe nope I don't. On, I would, man. but I'd have to kill you. And I don't feel like spending thirty years in jail for cheese dip. I just, just not worth it. Is there anything in the cheese dip that we would be surprised, like in like in an ingredient, like obviously like just a regular ingredient that maybe it's like in your household that you're like you'd be surprised that that's actually in there, or is it like this is pretty basic stuff? Well, it's pretty basic, really. The cheese dip is the thing that is special is the meat and the beans. There's a special ingredient in the beans that hmm. we put in there that. That I can't tell you. What's your go-to on the menu? Like if someone's like, okay, I'm going to go give Taco Rio a chance. I've never been there. Like it's, for it's, you personally, what it's, is it? It's the meat nacho. See, the guy I was with it, they got the meat nachos. Yeah. And I didn't do it. Yeah. And that's gluten-free for me, so I can know, do that. You can, I mean, the meat nachos for me is too big. We do a half size for yes. people like me, and that's more than enough. But uh, that's our... That's one of our biggest sellers. We got to go there tomorrow and get some meat nachos with our group. I'll, I'll we've go got a you. we've got a dinner with four guys. There's four of us tomorrow. It's Taco Burger Wednesday. Hey, yeah, yeah, tell me about the, the Taco Burger. Tell me about the Taco Burger. I've never had it, uh, and there's people not from Paragold who listen to the podcast. So, tell me about the infamous Taco Burger. Well, the infamous. What we I call it the home of the Taco Burger. Yes. Uh, and the Taco Burger is just taking a hamburger bun and putting taco meat on it. It's taco on a bun. Instead of uh, having a shell, you have a taco on a bun. And we do Taco Burger Wednesday. We'll sell, I think last Wednesday we sold 1100 Jeez. So is, that your, is that your second best seller next to the nachos? No. What's Sex your, the tacos. Just the straight-up tacos? Stop, straight-up tacos. Like today they'll come in and order 30, 40 tacos at a time, especially during the How evening. much are they on Taco Tuesday? 99 cents. Oh, wow. So I could crush me some tacos. <laughs> but I, I just don't. I'll, one of the things that Wendy's taught me, and my dad really taught me this, was you taste everything every day mm. before you you serve it. You taste it and make sure, number one, that it's hot, hot, hot stuff hot, cold stuff cold, mm-hmm. and you make sure that the flavoring is there. So by the time you taste everything every day, you're pretty well done for that day, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, is the inflation you, jacked y'all up quite a bit? It has hurt us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we try not to raise prices, but you just can't. You help can't not. It. Do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, our, our margins are so thin. When the Wendy's days, it was a cash cow, and Taco Rio was good to us for the last up until the last three years. Yeah. When prices started getting ridiculous, and yes. What people, most people, don't understand is we uh, restaurants don't get it any cheaper than you get at the grocery store. Matter of fact, a lot of times we have to pay more for it because they're having to deliver it to us. Mm. And I can't go to Sam's and pick up 800 pounds of meat. Mm. I can't do it. Mm. So the meat has meat is not so bad, but paper goods have gone out of sight. Drinks, everybody complains about having to pay $2 or $3 for the drink. What they don't understand is back in the day, you didn't have unlimited drinks. If you wanted another drink, 
you had to go, if you wanted a 69-cent drink, they gave you a large 69-cent cup. You filled that up. If you wanted another one, you had to get another 69 cents. What they do now is we give them a cup, and they go to the well, kind of like woman at the well. Mm -hmm. They go to the well five or six times, and then they take one home with them. So you don't make any money off soft drinks. Mm -hmm. And we used to make a ton of money off of that. So it's gotten very difficult to do it. And what we have to do is we just have to pinch every penny. My dad always said, I refer to him a lot, you take care of the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. He said, you got to pinch every penny everywhere. And that's the reason when you go to restaurants now, uh, service is one thing. Speed of service is not such a big deal anymore because, number one, they can't find the people. And number two, if they did, they can't afford them. Mm. What we used to do with five people, we got to do with three and a half now. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that penny comment, Chris is over there writing it down. And I'm getting nervous because he's overseeing the finances here. <laughs> right, so I'm like, oh boy, that's not going to be good. All right, this rapid fire has become not as rapid, but it's Let's very, go ahead. very good. Go ahead. Very I'm sorry. Good. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I've asked the questions. I, I took us down there, that path. I, I'm all about I'm all in that taco real game. All right, what is on your nightstand right now? My nightstand is a book called Resilience. Uh, by who? By uh, Elridge? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, we went through that in a Bible study that I'm in on Friday mornings. Yeah, Jay Allen. With Jay Allen yep. and that bunch. And basically, this is a Bible study that Trey Sharon leads for yeah, us. Yeah, I know Trey. Trey's a good guy. Yeah, and uh, Trey's become one of my biggest, one of my one of my go-to guys all the time. Trey's a good guy. Yeah, I mean, he's just awesome. Yes, he is. But uh, Trey does this with basically ministers that are there because it's hard. Who's ministering to the ministers? Mm-hmm. Who's equipping the equippers? And a lot of these guys that are involved in that don't have anybody that they can just talk to. Mm. Because in the ministry, and I'm just preaching to the choir here, you probably get a lot of needs, but nobody's ever saying, are Mm. you okay? Mm. And that's Trey's focus. Let's make sure that we're taking care of these guys because they need somebody to bounce off of. And it takes a while for them to get comfortable doing that. But the more they're there with him and with us there and saying we're just real men yeah. doing real life with a real God, that uh, it, it's it's really sweet. That's cool. Tell Trey to call me anytime. I will. Hey, <laughs> you can, you can join us Friday uh, at Fat cool. City at 6 o'clock. We're that's there awesome, every morning. Man. I do like some Fat City. All right, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Going home to my wife. Hottie. Yeah, Hottie. And, of course, my dogs. Because they can't wait to see me. They come out and... Ain't that and, the truth? What kind of yeah, dogs you got? We got uh, uh, a 110-pound flat coat, black retriever. She's beautiful. And then we've got one of those dogs that's a sheep herder dog, black, okay. beautiful. They're great dogs, and they can't wait to see me. They come out to greet me. Yep. I tell Betsy... Doesn't matter what kind of dog you got. Doesn't have. matter. Yeah. Man, doesn't matter. It's unconditional love, it's no matter what. It's unconditional love. Yes, it is. I told, I told Betsy, I said, I wish uh, our kids would have been like that when we were in grade school <laughs> and we picked them up because we'd pick them up and they go... You know, I'll be excited to see yeah, you. How how yeah. was your day? Fine. Yeah, exactly right. What? Yes. Come on, I need a little more here. I'm glad Come my on. kids are the only ones that do that. So, <laughs> Last question. What is one thing in your life that you're deeply grateful for right now? The connection I have with the community that I'm in. Mm-hmm. That's, I, 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 that's one thing, but I can't not say that my purpose 
I believe everybody. I believe everybody is created purposely for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not original to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I read that in a book that I'm also reading now. But one thing we try to do at Taco Rio, and one thing that God gave me the stroke for. Hey, let me go through all the stuff, especially the stroke. Is one thing I can speak to people about what the, the I can speak to the caretakers about what they need to understand about a stroke victim, Mm. that it's pure hell for them. The victim is going through hell because I believe my thought is that was a vision of hell for me because we all know that hell's going to be fire and brimstone. You're going to be thirsty and all that stuff. But what you don't see, and it's in between the lines, is you're isolated. And if you've ever been anywhere and know, see everybody around you and and they're doing stuff and all that stuff, but you can't communicate with them. Mm-hmm. You talk about frustrating. That's the most frustrating thing, and the hell's going to be frustrating yeah. for everybody. Yeah. But one thing, it, one thing that stroke taught me is it f- adjusted my thought about the business. Before it was about selling tacos. It's not about that. It's about loving Jesus and selling tacos <laughs> and using tacos as a vehicle for ministry. Mm. And... Uh, you know the people that I work with and work f- work with me up there. I get to invest in them, and they get to invest in me. My customers, a lot of them come in, and you kind of just sense something's going on, and I'll just say, "Hey, what's what's up? What's going on? Are you That's okay?" Cool. And they'll say, "No, I'm not." I've I've just stopped the line and just gone out there and prayed with them. Oh wow! On site because that's important. We have the prayer corner there. That's not original to us. I've we we stole that from a place in. Uh, Oxford, Mississippi, and my wife found that in a boutique, and she said, I need you to come in here. So I'm not going into a a dress shop. I'm not doing that. She said, no, you need to come in here and see this. And I went in there and saw that, and I said, we need to do that. Uh, And that's what we do. We have that prayer corner there, and they can fill out prayer cards, and we'll pray over those, or somebody will take one. And then then I've been able to have a different ministry and this uh, daily devotional text thing that i sent out i don't know how many people see it i don't i don't it's, that's not about the numbers it's about the message and, and you put a lot of work into it well sometimes i mean I'm, I'm not that smart i read a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. pick and pull and you know this spoke to me today and try to relate it to stuff that is going on in my life mm-hmm. but uh it, it's the stroke allowed me to see things that i've never seen before mm-hmm. And it opened up a whole new world for me. Uh, yeah, David Brooks uh, wrote a book called The Second Mountain, mm-hmm. I believe. But he talks about how grief, or not grief, I'm sorry, tragedy. What it can do is like when you get to like the depths of your soul, like tragedy carves out a hole in that and it takes you even deeper. Yeah. And then it carves it another hole and that takes you even deeper, deeper. And it allows you to see life much differently deeper, just broader, just a whole different perspective, and that's what you're talking about. Well, you know, the more the more I pursue God, the more He allows me to see more of Him. Uh, I think when God, when I was saved, I got all of God right then. But Scripture tells us He does hide Himself from us at times. Mm-hmm. But if we seek Him, it's kind of like fight, hide and seek where you used to play. He's hiding. You've got to go seek Him. And that's what we try to do. And Taco Rio has been a great vehicle to do that kind of stuff because we do stuff there that I've never been able to do anywhere else. Mm. 
Uh, and I learned that from my dad because he used his business to uh, use as a vehicle to witness and not just to witness, but to be an active witness to the people that, that he employed. He had 2,500 people at one time on payroll. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And he understood that he was given that opportunity by God and he did not waste it. I mean, he sent out a scripture every day saying, this is what this is what my scripture says today. I want you all to meditate on this type of stuff. It was just awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, Brad, I think that's a good place for us to come to a conclusion in this episode. I really want to thank you for making time to be here, even though I told you the wrong time. My assistant had it right, just so you know. That was well, my fault, hey, not I'm hers. To, Big surprise. Well, it was ministerially speaking is what I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, numbers. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Really thanks for it. having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, and Brad Smith has left the building. Chris, have you ever had Taco Rio? Not yet. Uh, I plan to go soon, though. Okay. Well, we definitely should go together. Uh, you get the taco burger. Mm-hmm. I will get uh, the nachos. Yeah, that sounds good. Hey, random trivia for you today. Yeah, what is it? Brad is the most common name of people we have interviewed. Ah. Brad Smith is the fifth Brad. The fifth that Brad. we've interviewed. And if you count Brad Snyder, we interviewed him twice. So <laughs> it's, we've had multiple personalities Brad six different times. Yeah. That's excellent. Hey, if you're still listening, we really appreciate you tuning in. If you've not already done so, uh, you can go find us uh, on Facebook. That's where we make a lot of our posts. We interact, uh, I guess, most frequently there, Facebook. Mm-hmm. We also have an Instagram account as well. And if you've not done this, we would encourage you, uh, go to iTunes. Is that right? Is it actually iTunes? Is that where that's at? I think people know what that means, but I think it's Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Okay, yeah. Go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. That's not just like to boost our ego. That truly helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people living right here in our community. So as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.